I absolutely loathe losing things. Unfortunately, I have lots of practice of experiencing the emotions around losing things. I don't know how you feel when you're looking for something you don't have that you need that you should have, but it feels like more than your keys are missing or your phone and your wallet. And I know now I've worked really hard at this. I'm doing so much better. I do the pat on the way out the door. Keys, wallet, phone. Keys, wallet, phone. Okay. I'm ready for the day. I have an electronic device attached to everything that I have lost previously that tells me where it is so long as I don't lose my phone. I can find it. It will sing little songs as I seek it wherever it might be. I've done much better as of late in not misplacing things. It feels like, I don't know, some huge failure of identity when I can't find something. It eats away. It makes me feel anxious. It makes me feel sped up in a way I don't know where I'm going. And so I was really frustrated a few weeks ago when I could not find my shoes. Now I know what you're thinking. You're grown-ish. You should know where your shoes are. And I, I know I should, except I couldn't find them. And it wouldn't be a big deal except they're the black dress shoes, which are for particular purposes, like when I'm wearing black pants. I'm told that's what goes with that. <laughs> Sources close to me are reporting this. And so I needed them. I had already committed to the black pants. And so I was looking for the black shoes, and I couldn't find them. And so I didn't immediately ask for help. In fact, my solution that first day was to go and change pants. <laughs> A couple days passed before I finally kind of confessed and asked my wife, have you, have you seen my black shoes? And the reason I waited 48 hours is because for 17 years of our marriage, we've been talking about where my shoes go. In lots of detail, I honestly think it's the most reoccurring conversation we've had in the last two decades together. And how I have learned, I'm, getting, I'm doing so much better, I generally do, but sometimes I get home, I don't think about it, I take them off, it's been a long day, um, and then I, I pick them up later or put them on later or what have you, but they weren't there. I couldn't find them. I looked all over the place and turned the house upside down. I couldn't find them. It was, I thought, how, how do I live? I didn't come home barefoot. Like, they have to be here. It's like your mind sort of just rebels against the notion that they aren't right there in front of you. And then, and I mean very recently, I'm walking out of the bedroom, and I look down to my left, and by the door, there they are. My black dress shoes. My first thought was, it's a Christmas miracle. <laughs> my shoes have returned to me. My next thought was crazy. My wife did this. <laughs> she hid them. I know she did, or the children did. And so I began an investigation. First, I questioned the older two boys. They're 11 and 9. They giggled through the whole thing, totally guilty. My daughter, only girl out of the four, uh, is five years old, thought it was a game, and said all the places that she could put them if she was going to hide them. And I said, no, where, were you a part of the conspiracy? And then she laughed, totally guilty. The two-year-old acted like he didn't even understand the questions. <laughs> Guilty. And finally, with all the evidence collected that the children had been a part of this conspiracy against me, my shoes, and my sanity, I went to my wife and said, look, 
I already have all the evidence I need. I've seen the movies. You, you go with the, the bluff real hard. They've all confessed. I know you're the ringleader. You hid my shoes and then put them right there. They couldn't possibly have been there all of this time. And she smiled and hugged me. And then I knew she hadn't hidden them at all. No. What had happened was I sat in a chair that's next to the door, and the dirty clothes hamper was right there, and it had gotten slid over next to it and covered them up. And then a few weeks went by, it got full, it got moved out for laundry to get done, and there they were. They were there the whole time. It was my fault. My wife's not coming till 8 o'clock tonight, so don't tell her. It's a totally different sermon that she's here. It's amazing what it feels like to misplace something and then to find out it's been there the whole time, waiting to be discovered. But sometimes we misplace things that are far more important than shoes. We misplace our trust. We lay down and forget where we put our hope. We lay down and put down our purpose and our meaning for getting up each day and living this life. And we wander around, you can do what I did. I've done it. Blame everybody else. In fact, there is a constant stream of information available to you through your TV and social media that will tell you who to blame if you're looking. Who's responsible for the fact that it seems broken, hurting, and wrong? It seems lost. Where do we turn? Where do we look? When we are finally ready to confess we can't find the thing that we need? This Christmas Eve, we turn to John's Gospel. Matthew and Luke give us these great stories of uh, Jesus' family, the genealogy of who Jesus' people are. Matthew and Luke tell us about mangers and shepherds and angels appearing. They tell us about uh, fleeing to Egypt under the threat of Herod's violence. They tell us about Joseph's faithfulness and Mary's courage. They tell us about Elizabeth and Zechariah and ancient hopes of Israel fulfilled in the coming of Christ. John goes behind those stories and underneath them all the way back to the beginning of creation in Genesis and uses language that poetically call back our minds to the creation of all things. For John writes, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through him. And without him, not one thing came into being. That part of God that is the wisdom and knowledge poured out in speech. In Genesis, God speaks, and light and darkness are separated, water and land. Animals are brought forth. The very force of creation let loose in the world is the laughter and hope and power and passion of God. That is the giving birth of all creation. What was coming to being in him was life, the very force of life. And life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome him. Have you ever felt like the darkness did? I have. In 2001, I had been down a road for so long I forgot why I started on it. I had known grief and pain and wounds, so much dirty laundry of my life had covered up where I had last known hope that I sort of just stumbled through my days. I stumbled through my life until confronted with a glimpse of light, and it came in a dark season. 
That fall in uh, September uh, the 11th, I was a senior at the University of Texas. I know that's not going to make everybody happy. You can whoop if you need to. There you go. You feel better, don't you? And there may be a few Sooners here. All manner of sinners are welcome among us here. But that's where I was. I was in Austin, and I watched with my fraternity brothers watching buildings fall when they were struck by hate in a field in Pennsylvania, and the Pentagon lit on fire. And I wondered yet again, is light and good losing? Perhaps the darkness is overcoming it. I had a three o'clock class that day. It was physics. And I thought, I have been to campus all day, I'll go. And it was so odd to walk on this massive campus that was eerily silent, small TVs. They hadn't come out with the big ones just yet. We're on campus, the news was replaying over and over. And you remember that day, many of you. I got to class and the professor was a German who had been a child in Dresden when the Allies firebombed him. And he didn't teach a thing about physics that day. But he talked about how he remembered the destruction and the brokenness and pain on the other side of violence and anger and the rise of the right in Germany and all that had meant there. And then he said in the response to this moment, we have a choice whether to be better or to be worse. It was the finest sermon I ever heard from a German physics professor. And he said, I pray we respond with light instead of darkness. And I remembered, I remember I used to feel that way. I remember I used to feel that way. And I, I went home because it was the last place that I'd seen it. And there it was yet again, right where I'd left it, right where I'd last used it, as my mother used to say. There it was, a light that the darkness could not overcome. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. I love verse 6 because in the middle of this cosmic telling of the purposes of Jesus, John tells us about this guy named John sent by God to be a witness to the truth. I love that because I'm just a guy named Ben. You're just a girl named Jennifer or a girl named uh, Shelly or a guy named Ramon or Raphael or Chris or Matt or Sarah. We're just people, not the source of this power, but we get to be a part of this story. And so is John sent from God to be a witness. To testify to the light, so that all might believe through him. The purposes are for everyone to hear. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify the light, the true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him. Yet the world didn't know him, he walked right by hope, right there. He came to what was his own, his people didn't accept him, but to all who received him and believed in his name, he gave the power to become children of God. For all of us who have known what it felt like not to belong, this is good news. For all of us who have known the force of others' blame, the weight of darkness that seems unrelenting and wounds so deep we think they can't be healed, the power to be called children of God is the gift of Christmas. Who were born not of blood, not because of who your parents were or who you're descended from or the will of flesh or the will of man, but instead of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us. We've seen his glory. 
the glory of the Father's only Son, full of grace and of truth. Here is the reading, the word of God for the people of God. Eugene Peterson translates that last verse that uh, the word became human and moved into the neighborhood. It became flesh and tabernacle, templed as the word, became a space where heaven took a foothold into earth, a foothold it wouldn't relent of. That Christmas is not just a story of what things happened in the past and cherished memories and traditions. It's about God's purposeful rebellion against the way things seem. We may have lost that. Maybe we've laid it aside. Maybe you can't remember the last time that hope consumed your day or joy lit up your heart or purpose guided your step, but it's right here. It's right where you last used it. And those shoes that I'm not wearing tonight, I, I took and I, I put in a, a safe And I locked it up because my family can't be trusted. And I need my black shoes. No, of course not. Shoes, when found, are to be laced up and pulled on so that we can go. Christmas, I know, with all of the buildup and all of the work, all of the preparation can feel like a finish line. And we can say, ah, oh, we made it in here. Except in the scriptural witness, it connects to the very beginning because it is a beginning. It is the start of our participation in this rebellious work to push back against the darkness by the force and power of the light that is the life of all people. And it's for everyone, even those of us who doubt it, even those of us who knew it but laid it aside. Even those of us who aren't sure that we can hold on to it as hard as we need to. Because if you wish that the world was different than it is, if you wish there was more song and, and more joy and more wisdom and, and less hate and less violence and less pain, if you wish there was more connection and less brokenness, then you are right within the heart of God for the world. And he says, lace them up, pull them on, let's go. Join and be sent by God like y'all. To be a witness, you don't have to generate the light. You just have to catch a glimpse and say, there it is. And be willing to give your time, your talent, your effort alongside of others who have glimpsed the light. To push back against the darkness that threatens the hearts and hopes of the smallest among us and those who are seasoned veterans of life. For I now believe that I was wrong. That I allowed the dirty laundry of the wounds of my life to cover up the thing I had looked for and thought I lost. I now believe in a light that the darkness cannot overcome. I now believe in a truth that no lie can undo. I now believe in life that death can't even defeat. I now believe that Jesus who came conquers and will come again and invites us between this day and that to go to work in the great Christmas rebellion of his love for the world. It is the light and life of all. So let us light candles tonight and sing Silent Night. I hope you eat great food. I hope you hang out with relatives you kind of like. I hope that folks come home from far off. I hope that you have blessings and you remember uh, the stories of long ago. I hope that even though there is grief looking at a chair in which love used to sit, you remember with joy their presence before this season. I pray you remember the last place you used hope. 
You might go back to that spot. Maybe it's here. Maybe it's underneath candlelights or twinkling Christmas decorations. I, I hope all those things happen for you tonight and tomorrow. But let us also pull on this hope, lace up this truth, and chase after this light. Because there are people in this world to feed, there are the vulnerable to shelter, there are the unloved to tell them they're wrong, that God loves them and we're here to make sure they never forget it. There is a culture and a society waiting for those who have light to say, here, there's more than enough. We've got this to share. I pray not only does the past of Christmas, but the power of Christmas enters your home and your heart and our story that we might follow this Jesus that no valley of death could hold, no cross could fully claim, and no grave could end that we might become part of the rebellion of hope against the darkness, that we may become witnesses of light and life against death itself. Until all those things that threaten to break our hearts, that threaten to steal our hopes and crush our joy, fade to dust and are no more. That's what I now believe. May that Hope, light, and love, so fill us to guide our steps. Fuel the passion of our days, and may we join the radical invasion of heaven into flesh itself and move into the neighborhood. That God's witnesses multiply and blessings multiply alongside. Burdens are eased. The stories are told. Songs are sung. Wisdom is shared. Truth declared in candlelight, in carols, and in a community of people, people who see the wounded and the weary and say, not on our watch, not while we have this much light, not when we have this work to do. We're going to lace them up, we're going to pull it on, and we're going to go. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful that what we're looking for is not lost to you and can be found in this place. May you remind hearts tonight that are wondering, where was it last that I knew of that hope or tasted of that light? Maybe it's this first moment now. May our hearts cling to that. May become a part of who we are. May we lace it to our very souls and stories and then walk in that grace that we might join you in this work and adventure. And then we may not misplace it because we are working together to bless and unburden, to heal and forgive, to bring light and love and light to your world and be witnesses to it, like John, sent by you, a part of not only the beginning, but the invasion of creation and new creation in Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray and gather this night. Amen.